Hello, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent here with my co-host, Sean Cheatham, and we are on our 15th episode. you believe that, Sean? Yeah. <laughs> we started this, what, like early May, right? Was it? Uh, I guess I'll, I'll take your word. Something like that. It was, <laughs> yeah, we've been doing this for three or four months now, I guess. Yeah, time yeah. flies. But yeah, we're on our 15th episode, and today we're going to uh, be shifting into um, definitely a more topical area, but an important one. Um, and Sean is going to take us away on that one. Yeah. So today we'll be uh, interacting with a video that um, was uh, uploaded to uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries channel. Um, and it's a question both Ravi and uh, I guess the, the, the vice president or the president of the ministry now. Senior um, vice president. Senior vice president, Abdu Murray. Uh, respond to uh, this person's question. And um, with uh, Ravi's answer, we're, we're probably not actually going to go into. Um, uh, we, uh, we would just like to say that uh, we, we do uh, respect Ravi uh, quite a bit, and he just died. Uh, although that's not necessarily why we're glossing over his, um, his uh, answer. We just didn't think there was a lot to discuss about his answer. We're going to focus mostly on Mr. Murray's uh, answer, but uh, we think that it under uh, highlights a uh, 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 vast gulf in um, apologetic methodologies that we want to talk about. Yep, that's exactly right. His response is, I think, very telling of um, of prevalent, I would say, prevalent um, apologetic methodology that is here today and the theology that lies behind it. And that's one thing we want to talk about as we go through this. Um, so first of all, we're going to play the question that this young man asked of Mr. Murray and, and Ravi Zacharias, um, and before we dive into Mr. Murray's response. If the Bible is really the revealed word of God, and it has the power that you say it has, why is it that millions of people can read it and know it and still die unbelieving? So this question really it's a question of skepticism right so if you've come to the bible you've never read the bible before and i guess you could see you know how this might be a legitimate question and i'm saying that very loosely um be you know if you're not understanding the anthropology or the state of man from a biblical perspective you know you hear all these good things about christ you hear all these good things about the gospel and what Christianity is supposed to bring to people and you, know, you see people reject it. Okay. That might be a valid answer or a, a valid question, but um, there's really an assumption of skepticism to some extent that I see here. I think there's an implicit false dichotomy. It's it's, if it's true, then this must happen. If it's true, then people must be saved whenever they hear the word or whenever um, the gospel is presented to them or the, the word of God must have this power to save everybody. And if it's not true, then people are falling away or, or rejecting it. So I think there's already a question of skepticism here. And this kind of leads into what we're going to be talking about today with regards to a biblical view of man and how that plays into why people reject the word of God um, as the sole standard for faith and practice, why they reject the gospel. Um, so just saying that right off the bat, um, with regard, so Ravi does the first response in this video. Um, 
And like Sean said, we're not going to dive into it too much. We think overall it's, you know, it, it wasn't a bad answer necessarily. It didn't really answer the question that the young man had. I, I think it was kind of a, I think Robbie was kind of beating around the bush and not really getting to the heart of the matter. Um, but Mr. Murray's response is really where I think the, uh, he answered it more directly, but the way he answered it, I think, um, is where we want to focus today. Did you want to add anything, Sean? Uh, no, we can, we can uh, dive in. Okay. Uh, yeah. Get my timestamps right here. You know, just to add a couple of thoughts on the tail end of that, that um, and I was one of those people, by the way. For the longest time, I came from a completely different worldview. Yes, I was a theist. I actually believed that God existed, but I very much did not want the gospel message to be true for a long time. It took me nine years from the time I first really began to look at what the Bible had to say about who Jesus was and coming to look at all the evidence. Now, just real quick, I, I should have said this earlier. Um, Abdu Murray is senior vice president of RZIM. I think Sean touched on that already, but he's a former Muslim and he's an attorney. Um, but he's, I guess he was Ravi's right-hand man, so to speak. Um, so he's associated with Ravi in that way. Scientific, existential, philosophical, theological, nine years. And the reason isn't because the answers were hard to find. The reason is because the answers were hard to embrace. There's a consequence to belief. I think we often forget this. I think in our hyper-rationalistic worldview, sometimes when we think about there are clear arguments, there's beauty in the words and all these things, that people come to these things with a blank slate, that they come wanting to believe the truth. They often, the, the case is that people don't always do that. I can identify with every single person like that. Now he says that people don't always come to the word with a blank slate. And again, I think that's not, I don't think that's, that's accurate. Again, this goes back to a view of man that we believe is unbiblical that he's presenting here. Uh, you want to add some thoughts to that, Sean? So I, I do want to hit on the fact that he's actually, aside for his, his application to all of humanity, he's hitting on a, a very important point that we would definitely agree with, and that is people aren't neutral. Um, right. Yeah, the, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him uh, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Everyone knows there is a God. The yep. pagan, the atheist, it, it, it does not matter. Everyone knows there's a God and uh, they're suppressing it. So for him to bring up the point that people don't want to believe, that is fundamental to this question. Why, yep. why is it that people can read the word of the living God and walk away? It's not because they don't realize there's uh, not a God. They do know there's a God. Uh, it's because they don't want to believe. That is fundamental to this answer. And uh, he does hit that off the bat. Um, He's, for the most part, I guess my concern part. is he's like, well, some people do come with a blank slate and some don't. He's kind of like, yeah, yeah. We would say all men are bent away from God just by the by their very sin nature. Um, they're by nature children of wrath. They hate God. They want nothing to do with him. They suppress the truth mm -hmm. in unrighteousness, knowing what that truth is. They're not ignorant of it. Yeah. So 
Yeah, you're right. Mr. Mr. Murray does, he's intertwining truth with error here. And um, yeah, there are people, they reject it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. So they reject it. I just think he misses the real core issue, which is sin. He doesn't address that explicitly at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can name off and rattle off not just religious people who have these issues, but even irreligious people who claim to say, oh, the evidence is what leads me away from God because there's no evidence in these kind of things. When you think about what Thomas Nagel wrote, and many of you maybe have, writ have read the words of Thomas Nagel, I think a very forthright and open and honest skeptic, professor of philosophy at New York University, he said, I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It's not that I disbelieve in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my beliefs, it's that I hope there is no God, I don't want there to be a God, I don't want the universe to be like that. No, that's actually a very honest, he's right, that's a very honest skeptic, right? Because he's, yeah. this man is saying, I just don't want God. It's not that I, you know, I, I'm seeing evidence and I don't want anything to do with it. It's like, I just don't want this to be true, even if it is, even if all the evidence points to it. So it, Mr. Murray seems to, he starts to go down that road of what the issue is, just doesn't touch on it explicitly or, or directly in this response. Mm -hmm. So when you look at that, kind of desire, and you come to someone and you say, John 3.16, or the whole corpus of scripture, whatever it might be, and you say, how come the beauty of these words doesn't overpower a desire like that? I think the answer lies in the fact that, you know, and I, I remember a song that was written by a very famous person uh, who's passed away since, and he said, he asked the question, how beautiful do the words have to be before they conquer every heart? And the answer is simply this, there are no words as beautiful as possible to overcome someone's free will. Now, here's where the issue starts to come out, right? Do, do we believe, we believe as Christians that God's word is effective, that it will not return void. Script, uh, forgive me, uh, Sean, where, where is that? Is that Isaiah? Oh. Now, now you're going to make me look it up. I, I'm getting you to do your sword drills, aren't I? <laughs> Get your swords out. Does not return void. So that would be from Isaiah uh, 5511. Okay, so Isaiah 5511. Yeah, so that my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will do whatsoever I... And then, of course, the uh, it cuts off a little bit. Um uh, to which the purpose and she'll succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So yeah, uh, God is saying that what comes from my mouth, it shall accomplish what I wanted it to accomplish. He's not going to be defeated uh, in this case by man's free will. Exactly. Exactly. So it almost sounds like he's implying, and I don't think he would be, he would ever explicitly say this, but when you say something like that, it implies that you're saying there's a deficiency in the words not being able to overcome an obstacle you know even though the words are beautiful even though these are the very words of god mm -hmm. they're not able to overcome this person's free will and he'll go on to say you know god has given us the dignity of, of differing or the dignity of free will um it, it that's a real problem and this goes back again what what is your view of man what is your view of his condition before god do you believe that god's word for one can accomplish what it said it will do. God's word, one, will not return void. It will accomplish whatever God has said. 
Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So God's word will penetrate. It will cut to the heart of man. Even if they reject it, it will overcome them in some, uh, in, a, in some sense. And to the elect, it will overcome uh, their sinful desires because God is the one who acts and God is the one who saves. God is the one who changes our natures so that we desire his will, so that we desire the gospel. We desire to be like him. Um, and and he, he overcomes our will in that sense. It's not, a, it's not a twisting of the arm or force. It's a changing of the nature because our natures are so radically bent away from God. Where you know we believe in the doctrine of total depravity that man's every faculty of man's nature is touched by sin, it's corrupted by sin, so that even the good works that we do outwardly are sinful in God's eyes. And our, our confession, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter sixteen, paragraph seven, it says, "Quote: Works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter of them they may be things which God commands and of good use both to themselves and others." Yet because they proceed not from a heart purified by faith, nor done in a right manner according to the word, nor to a right end, the glory of God, they are therefore sinful and cannot please God, nor make a man meet to receive grace from God, and yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing to God. So our condition is so dire that even the outward acts that are good from our perspective or even might conform to God's law in an outward sense are sinful in God's eyes because they're not done from a heart that has been changed. They're done from a heart that hates God. Um, and so we, when we turn away from, from God's word and rejection, we're doing so willingly, but it's not a deficiency in the word. It's not that the word can't overcome our sinful desires. It's not that the word isn't efficient. It's that uh, God works his word in his places in in his time. Um, and God's, uh, made it very clear that our wills are bound to sin. Our wills are bound to sin. We, we hate that, which is good because of our sinful nature. And God has given us, I think, the dignity of actual free will to where the beauty of what he says is indeed beautiful. We might even recognize the beauty of it as some who, are, who have rejected him have actually recognized but say, I don't want it because there's consequences and they think only temporal consequences. The human heart is a very, very complicated thing. The human mind is a very complicated thing. What I find amazing about the Bible is that it doesn't say, if you say these words, they'll just believe because it's so powerful. And then you're disappointed because the promise was broken. Jesus himself did. Yes, the human heart is a complicated thing, um, but it's more than just complicated. It's corrupt, it's sick. It's dead in its sins. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Uh, the Lord searched the heart and examined the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And our pastor actually preached out of this, these two verses last week. Um, and our hearts are so corrupt and so evil and dark that from as they stand, there really is no cure for our hearts. Outside of God's grace, there is not. And it's so corrupt in its nature that we as human beings cannot fully understand it. God is, as verse 10 says, God is the one who searches the heart and examines the mind. 
he's the one who can really understand and truly grasp the depths of depravity that the human heart has because God being God knows all things. He is omniscient. He can see what we cannot. We can only see the outward. We can only see the fruit that is displayed, but God truly can search the heart and it is wicked. It's, it's desperately evil. And we, that is where this rejection of God comes from. It's not just, okay, we have some kind of philosophical handicap or, you know, I just need enough evidence. If, if I, you know, look at these archeological digs as opposed to these, you know, I'll somehow believe in, in the truth of scripture. Now that's, that's not the issue here. It's that man hates God and does not want anything to do with him because of his sinful nature. He's not being handicapped by God. He's not like, well, I really want God, but you know, God's just keeping me at bay. He doesn't want me to come over there, and I, but I really want him. I really want him. No, it's we hate God. We don't want anything to do with him. We are walking away from him willingly. We do the works of our father, the devil, if we do not know God. This is what Jesus told the Pharisees. You're of your father, the devil, and you do his works, and this is why you don't believe in me. Because you are acting in accordance with your nature and that nature that your father, the devil, has. It's, it's evil. It's sinful. It's corrupt. That is where the issue lies uh, with regards to the human heart. It's not a matter of um, this alleged free will that we have. It's a matter of man's condition and his will is bent away from God. Mm-hmm. Didn't convince everybody. So the Bible is very honest and very forthright about the way human beings work and the way the, the words of scripture actually work. You can recall time after time, they question Jesus, he questions their intentions, they walk away. But a man walks up in Mark chapter, Mark chapter 10, a man walks up and says, what must I do to attain eternal life? Jesus starts to talk with him about the law. The man says, I've kept all these laws since my youth. I've kept every single one of them. And the Bible says, Jesus, this is the key part, this little tiny phrase, no one remembers, but it says, Jesus loving him said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and come follow me. He wasn't saying, you know, give up all your possessions and, you know, sort of live like a, you know, sort of a a monastic life. What he was saying is, you, sir, you particularly, sir, need to give up all you have and follow me because you're not willing to go where the truth actually is because it might cost you something. And the man walked away sad because he was very rich and Jesus led him. My point is this is that there's nothing in the scriptures that says that these words will simply bowl people over, um, even with eloquence and, and the passion that you have to offer it, because God gives us the dignity of difference, the dignity of differing with even him. And there's that free will element to it. The power. There's nothing dignified about differing with God. Um, people got killed over that, but that's beside the point. Yeah, and, and there, like I, we... Like we were saying uh, earlier with quoting from Isaiah 55, 11 and um, Hebrews, uh, there are actually Bible passages that do say God will accomplish through his word this um, salvation of people. So I'm not. uh, And and that God God turns the heart where he wills. I I believe it's in Proverbs that talks about this. The king's heart is in uh, God has the king's heart in his hand and he turns it wherever he wills. Um, yeah, the, it's like it, he's almost creating uh, almost like a minor form of deism, you know, okay, God created us and, uh, you know, he's given us his word, he's preached his word, but he, he doesn't do anything with regards to people's wills. You know, he just kind of let, lets them go with that and they do whatever they want. You know, that's the dignity that he's given us. Uh, no, no, the scriptures do not teach that. 
scriptures teach that God is absolutely sovereign, even over the desires uh-huh. of men, uh-huh. even over their actions. You know, we see in the Old Testament, for instance, in the book of Habakkuk, um, God was raising up Israel's enemies. And it doesn't say that God just allowed them to do what he wanted. He was actively raising them up and being active in their sinful desires to, ter- to turn against Israel. And God was going to use that to punish his people, but then turn around and punish the Assyrians for their, uh, for their actions. So God is active even in the desires and the, sin- the sinful desires and the good desires of men. God doesn't just leave us and give us the dignity to do, quote unquote, to do whatever we want. God is very active in that and is sovereign in his providence to move those things according to his predestined purposes. And that's really the difference here that we have to understand. Your theology is going to affect your apologetic. It's going to affect your responses to people like this young man who are asking these skeptical questions. Um, And we have to be very careful about that. How are we presenting ourselves to the world around us? Are we accurately representing scripture? Are we painting man in a way that is too good to be true, so to speak? Are we painting man in a way that is outside of the boundaries that God has given us in his word? To be very careful about Mm -hmm. that. This is why we can't separate apologetics from theology, as some unfortunately try to do. Um, I think there's more extreme versions of that, like the Frank Turks of the world. Definitely more of an, an evidential mindset than they are a theological mindset in terms of their defense of the faith. Um, but this is why we have to be very careful with how we present the, the, uh, the Christian faith to the world. It cannot be divorced from a proper theology. It cannot. Yep. I can attest to you that the very faith... No, go ahead. I was just going to add to that, um, John six thirty seven. All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and he, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So. John, that's just talking about the Jews. That's not for us now. Come on. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Leighton Flowers, Leighton Flowers joke. Leighton Flowers joke. Things that I once thought were silly about the gospel, I actually found to be so profound that I'm almost embarrassed that I found them silly before. Having done a long search and seeing that the consequences, whatever they might be, are worth following that truth. It was because people... Why did you do that, though? That... that it wasn't because you just found that the consequences were, you know, not as bad as they could be. That almost sounds like you get saved because, okay, this isn't going to affect me personally as bad as I thought it was going to do. So I'm going to believe that's one. That's not why we come to to faith in Christ. We don't do it out of selfish self-preservation. We do it because we truly see who God is and, and what he has given us in Christ and the gospel. Um, yeah, so we, you know, your motives have to be pure when you're coming to the gospel. Um, yeah, because that that doesn't sound like a. It, I don't know if that's what he's trying to say, but I think it can come across as this. Well, I just weighed the scales, and this sounded like it was better than the alternative, so I came to Christ. No, there, God works His Spirit in us to regenerate us. This is how we are saved. We are regenerated. We are given the desire. Faith is a gift of God. Our natures are changed. So now that we desire that which is good, it wasn't because I weighed the odds and I said, okay, this one is better than this. It was because God in his mercy chose to save us, chose to make his gospel effective in our hearts. Um, So yeah, we have to be very careful how we're talking about salvation in that way. 
I think uh, this might also be a good time to discuss um, whether or not to the unbelieving world, the message of the gospel, the words should seem like they're good or not. Yeah, because uh, so the scriptures say that they're foolishness to those who are perishing. Yep, and that's that's exactly where I'm going. This will be a little bit of a, a long passage, but it's First Corinthians starting at uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath, God, hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of, God, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So to the unbelieving world, what you preach should appear to be foolishness. A man died on a cross 2,000 years ago, and that's supposed to be the sacrifice. I don't even think I'm necessarily that bad of a person, but that's supposed to be a sacrifice for my sin. And the yeah. only way to know him is not through miraculous signs, but by reading a book. That sound, that's going to sound absolutely foolish to the world, and it, it should. Um, if, you're, if the Christianity you preach isn't foolish to the people around you, it's, it's probably not Christian. It's probably not. Uh, so we should have no expectation that um, it's going to sound great to those that, um, to those that are unbelievers. Uh, and in fact, if you're, if you're promoting it as, oh yeah, just, yeah, it should sound great to everyone. Um, you're actually robbing God of his power. The whole, the whole point is God's going to demonstrate his power through this by using what appears on the face of it to be the most foolish means uh, to bring people to salvation, the preaching of his word. Uh, but we, we see that it, it, it does work and um, that, that gives glory to God because only he could have done it. Well, we, we would have gone and used means that seemed more attractive. Like if it were up to us, there would be miraculous signs that no one could doubt. Uh, but God has not chosen it to do that way, to do it that way. And uh, we shouldn't be trying to do what he has chosen not to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. The world is going to see this as foolish. They're not going to be there weighing the odds. <laughs> they, again, this goes back mm -hmm. to the nature of man. Man is by nature born into sin. 
He's by nature born bent away from God. He wants nothing to do with him. He's suppressing the truth that he knows is there. The, the law of God is written on his heart. He does not do it. He suppresses it. This is what the evil man does. So it, there's not going to be this. It, it's almost like he's assuming neutrality here. Okay, man's yeah. just, you know, I'm just kind of weighing the odds. I'll pick which one is best as, as if mm -hmm. man is going to know what's best in the first place uh, on his own. He's, he's not. He's not going to. Not going to. And, you know, I didn't actually pick up on this before when I w was watching this this week about the consequences thing, but now watching it again, um, it just kind of stood out. I was like, oh, wow, that actually, um, that has a, there's a lot of assumptions there, I guess, that um, are not said. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, he's giving a five-minute answer. We don't expect, like, the amount of depth that we're going to have in this podcast necessarily. It's also right. a little, little more off the cuff. He wasn't prepared for it. But... Um, which Dan and I were talking about it before our form person would have given this person like a 30 second answer because it's just, yeah. it's built into our theology, uh, the anthropology of man. It would be, a, it would have been a very simple It's answer. reformed theology 101. Yeah. Reformed, the, the, the man's anthropology is really the, one of the basic tenets of reformed theology. Yeah. People didn't despair, although it can be quite despairing about the power of these words and the power of this truth, that they kept at it for nine years, almost a decade. And I'm thanking God that they actually did persist, despite the fact that it didn't seem like the words were beautiful enough to convince. But they are there, and they actually do prick the heart, the conscience of someone who doesn't want to believe, whether it's from a religious worldview or a non-religious worldview. But all I would say is this, is that as Ravi said, it's not us who does the convincing. It is the words, but also the power, I think, of the Spirit of God working in someone's life to point in the now, see, we, can, we agree with that. Yeah, we agree Amen. with that. I just think uh, he's definitely being inconsistent in his application of what he's saying. Well, yeah, it's the spirit of God, but <laughs> I think yeah, I think the very next thing is he's he's going to do a button, leave it back to free will. But, yeah, yeah, something that matters to them. I think part of the reason why we don't see conversion is because we say this is the truth. You are just wrong about this. This is the truth as opposed to saying, this is the truth, and it speaks to you specifically. When the Apostle Paul says, let your speech always be gracious at those seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person, he's not telling you to answer a question. He's saying you ought to answer each person because people need answers and questions don't. So I think sometimes we get a little too cerebral in our responses because we're answering questions, forgetting that there's a person behind the question itself. And how they react to that is up to them, and God gives them the dignity to reject or accept what he has to offer. So it's the power of the word, but it's also the reality of human will. And I'm a living testimony to the fact that sometimes they're loggerheads, and sometimes they get resolved. Great question, thank you. It's they're always loggerheads without God. Mm -hmm. And they are always resolved <laughs> by his power. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're not gonna have this yeah. mixed situation where you're gonna have some mm -hmm. with the loggerheads and God is mm -hmm. frustrated and then some over here that are resolved, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I, I will highlight, there's, there's, there's a little bit of truth in what he was saying about you want to answer the person. Um, I, I'm not quite sure I understand what he means when uh, people need answers, not questions. But um, uh, I, I, there, there are real questions one might have that aren't based in sin necessarily or like, like an unbeliever might have a legitimate question. Now, their heart is illegitimate and they're not 
they're not necessarily seeking an answer, but they might have a, a question in a legitimate sense that like they honestly don't know and it might need to be resolved as a stumbling right. block before they right. come come to faith. And even I, as a believer, had questions that it, it didn't overturn my faith, but I'm like, well, how does that work? And then only later to come to a, a realization of whatever it was I was seeking after. Um, and we do, we don't want to necessarily treat everyone as in, oh, the reason why you're asking that question is just because you're, you're, you're sinning or something. We, we do want to provide genuine answers if someone has a, a question that would otherwise be a stumbling block to them. But that being said, we cannot ever forget what they are in of themselves. They are dead in Adam. They, are, they do have a nature that's bent away towards sin. So we can't ever treat them as if they were a neutral agent. Um, right. They're not. They're not. And there, there may very well be come. A, there may very well come a time when you're witnessing to someone that you need to be like, no, I don't think you're you're asking legitimate questions. The reason why you're doing this is because uh, you don't want to serve the God you know is there. You don't yeah. want him to be true. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and, and this is why having a, a apologetic methodology grounded in scripture grounded in solid theology that feeds it instead of trying to assume either the neutrality of man that man just needs a budge in the right direction you just needs enough information or assuming that somehow evidences external evidences are somehow going to uh, be this the point mm -hmm. that convinces people you have to be very mm -hmm. careful about that uh, that doesn't mean we don't use evidences those are very helpful um ravi zacharias's ministry i think was very much an evidential uh, methodology. I could be wrong on that, um, but I think it did focus more on the philosophical and um, scientific evidence side of Christianity rather than the theological aspects behind it, um, just from listening to him for years. Um, and I think that's a problem. We have to, th those things are okay and they can be supplemental, but they should never be in the forefront. Because then you run into problems like Mr. Murray was bringing up here. When you do get to your theology, it's going to be shaky if your theology is not solid and not grounded in, in scripture. And you're only focusing on trying to convince people from a philosophical or evidential standpoint. Can't do that. We can't do that. We have to have our apologetics grounded in a solid doctrine of God. We have to have it grounded in scripture or we're going to be inconsistent with our own worldview. If I'm saying... You know, I believe in the Bible as my standard. I believe in God, yet I'm going around trying to convince people of just evidences and just philosophical arguments or, or even theistic proofs about God. I'm not even being consistent with my worldview because now I'm just putting God aside over here, not even using his word as part of my apologetic, as my grounding for apologetic methodology. I'm just putting it over here, assuming that somehow it's my theology is separate from my apologetic when the very book that you're putting aside or that you claim to ascribe to says otherwise. We need to have an answer, as Peter said, for the hope that is within us. But that was never separated from a grounding in the gospel or a grounding in scripture. It's flowing from that grounding in scripture and grounding in God that we do make a defense for our faith in these other areas. Always keeping in mind, as Sean said, um, the state that man is in before god is lost and dead in our sins uh, we always have to approach 
how we present the gospel and Christianity to people with that in mind. Man is not neutral. Man is bent away from God. We have no desire for him. So I'm coming when I present the gospel or I present Christianity to somebody, I'm coming at someone who is, you know, someone who might say I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic or whatever, but without Christ, this person hates God. And I have to remember that. And that will change how I present the Christian faith to them. So those are things we have to be very, very careful about. And we have to keep in mind when we're talking about Christianity with the world. Yeah, I'd like to close with um, Romans uh, chapter 10, starting at verse 13. Um, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have, all not, they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So Paul gives us this, this list, this chain. How are they going to believe unless they hear? Or, um, unless um, uh, they, uh, no, unless they hear, sorry. Unless they hear. Uh, he gives us this chain. And um, the obvious answer, it's a rhetorical question, you can't. Um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is absolutely necessary uh, for this equation. So you can present people all the evidence in the world. They're not going to believe unless they hear the word of God. That is, in the final analysis, that is what they need to hear. So evidence is good. It it very well might help. They need to hear the word of God. Don't don't downplay that. Um, Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, Today has been definitely a much shorter episode than the past two, Um, but we hope you enjoyed it and it was beneficial and Lord willing, we will see you next week. Have a good one.